Mission Chats with John Crow. Well, today I am thrilled to introduce to you a couple who have been a part of my life in many ways for many years, and they've spoken to over a million and a half people in 78 countries. As you can imagine, that's been a huge kingdom impact. So this is really an exciting mission chat for me, and I'm looking forward to them sharing their story with us. So Dan and Susie, I'm going to hand it over to you and just love to hear your story, how you came to faith, how you got involved in missions, yeah, thanks, John. My name is Dan. My name is Susie. Together, Together we, we are doozy. doozy. And uh, <laughs> we love life. And, yes. and for us, you can't separate life from mission. We've been with the same organization for now 35 years. Yes. And not every day has been 35 great. 35 years yesterday. 35 years oh, yesterday. Wow. Fantastic. Congrats. But it's all about life. Our story goes back to we are generations of people who have been involved in sharing Jesus with people. I am a fifth generation youth worker. I'm a fourth generation youth worker and our kids are ninth generation yeah. or maybe 10th. I don't Whatever. know what we say, right? <laughs> but we grew up in families that were about loving God, loving each other, loving ourselves. Yeah. And our call came very early. Actually, Susie had a call yeah. before I did. <laughs> yeah, both of our parents were dedicated to Jesus. Like Dan said, I come from a family of eight kids. I'm second of eight. And my parents not only dedicated us to Jesus as little kids, but they dedicated us to missions. And mm -hmm. I think that's very unique that they were like, God, we give our kids to missions. And so they grew us, first of all, to know and love Jesus, the best foundation ever, but also had a huge missional impact. We always had the missionaries for dinner. We had longer connections. We Every night in our evening prayer and Bible study reading, we were praying for Zelda Pearson in Haiti and Esther Grody in Africa. And so we right. knew people yeah. and we were praying for them in missions and we got updates. You know, now you can get video updates, but we just got like a piece of paper, you know, <laughs> one thing once a year, they came back every four years, but mm. kind of grew groomed us for missions. It was at the age of 12 for me and I was at our church camp and there was an altar call that was like, come to Jesus, but it was also anybody who wants to give anything, anytime, anywhere to Jesus, mm -hmm. kind of a rededication. I'm saying, God, here I am again. I was 12. So, right. you know, my parents dedicated me at a time when I couldn't choose, but at 12, I did choose. And I went down to that altar and I said, God, anytime, anything, anywhere. And that was my for sure call to mission. Let me just push the pause button because at the sure. same meeting, we didn't know each other, but we were at the same meeting wow. at the same altar call yeah. that I was on one side and she was on the other side. Both saying and yes. I felt God was calling me <laughs> to give my life into service for right. him. We wow, didn't know awesome. that till years later, but it was at the exact same service, same mm. camp. And we didn't even meet each other for another probably 10 years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we traced it back. That was interesting. Right and then in the moments after that, as my parents are disciplers, church planters, they just kept me accountable to that decision. They were there in the room. I went back and told them, they were like, we know we've been praying your whole life for this. And 
Yes, we'll keep you on track. So many of the decisions that I was making, even in my high school years, was like, will that help you become a missionary? It's really grateful for that. That was really helpful for me to just filter everything through that. And I always knew I was going to be a missionary nurse. And I thought it would end up looking like this picture of living under a mosquito net in Haiti or, you know, in Africa, doing surgery as this single nurse, whatever. Those were my two pictures that I prayed about all the time. So I went to do my training and became a registered nurse, fully expecting to go into missions as a nurse. My mission call was a little bit different than that. The day I met Susie, I just fell in love with her. It was like... We were mid-20s Mid-20s. I had thought, this is the girl I want to spend the rest of my life with. I didn't tell her that, but I told some of her friends that. And they told me, you don't have a chance with her because she's Uh. a missionary and you're not. And I just said, God, if she's going to be a missionary... I want to be a missionary too. And that was my missionary call. That was the mission call. So spiritual, right? Very strong calling. God takes every type. Right. (laughs) And then I worked for Youth for Christ for a couple of years. And she was working as a nurse after we got married. And we just said we were married to have a focus on people together. Mm -hmm. And that's when we began to pursue which organization we would go with to share the gospel around the world. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. That's great. I'm not sure if I actually heard your stories uh, as far as the original pieces of that. So that's been fun to hear that. And as we look from there to now, obviously, you know, 30 plus years uh, with a single organization is quite a story in itself. But I'd love for you guys to share a little bit of that journey and how the Lord led you to this point. Yeah. So we were at Urbana, the missions conference, and we basically came down to YWAM or OM and they were side by side in booths recruiting. (laughs) And YWAM had this beautiful display and all these things, you know, like it was like before it's time. And OM was George Verwer had a brown butcher paper with a marker that had run out that said OM. He had given half his table away to Jesus People USA, and he had spoken. And we stood at both of those, and we were like, let's just ask God. And God told both of us individually, and then we chatted, which one needs you? (laughs) (laughs) It was very artistic, and it was like, we could do something better than the brown paper. Yeah, so that was how God used it. We started off in Eastern Europe our first seven and a half years. We're in the country of Poland, the first two behind the Iron Curtain. We were the first with our mission to live in a communist country. Before that, we had just smuggled Bibles into all those Eastern European countries. And we went in to do just a survey time around the country, and they gave us all the contacts of people that they had. That was the most contacts they had in any Eastern European country. And everybody said, come and work with the youth. Um, work with the next generation. And if you know us, we're pioneers. We love to start things. And this was an opportunity in a place that was really untouched by the gospel in many ways, especially among the next generation to go in and really say what in in this changing world, because the world is changing so quickly there in Eastern Europe. How do we bring a gospel that connect to people who have been Catholic, people who have been oppressed, And it was a remarkable beginning to our missions adventure. Yeah, and it was remarkable for us because it's a very high relationship culture. English gave us an opening because they wanted every one of their teenagers to know English. 
So we worked with teenagers in the schools. We had comeback meetings once a month to be able to give the gospel and follow up Bible studies after that. So that is what we did month after month. We grew our team. And it was a few years into those times that OM in general felt like there was no teen ministry in OM. And would you help start this thing in Germany, which later became known as Teen Street, And we said, yes, we'll help. And then less than a month later, there's no one to help. It's you. So 30 years ago (laughs) this summer, (laughs) years ago this summer, we'll be celebrating Teen Street starting in Germany. Mm -hmm. And we get to be a part of that celebration. We've been invited in to be a part of that. And that began, and then we were a part of not only for 16 years in Germany, but then we started multiplying it internationally in Uruguay and in Brazil and Australia, India, South Africa, Malaysia, Malaysia, a number. And now it's been in 42 plus countries, you know, online and the international group is expanding. We're not a part of that, but kind of at the same time, we started something called MTO. Mm-hmm. And it used to stand for missionary teens only. But if you know the missions world today, you we have to understand that. that you can't use the word missions right. in more places. Right. So right. we changed it a number of years ago to my thrive orbit. It's still MTO. Because right. these kids are moving around. We have some of the teenagers that we work with, uh, TCKs, we call them now. Third culture kids. That even in the last two years, they've lived in three different countries. They're on the move. And yeah. that's the people that God has really put on our heart within our organization and even outside of our organization to help these young people who many of them are deciding, is this Jesus something we really want to have? How do we embrace them? And something we learned very early, John, in Poland, really, Mm -hmm. was we joined OM to do ministry. It was a good thing to do, ministry. And we realized very quickly that it's not about ministry. It's about living in life. Life on life. Matter of fact, in the Bible, 22 times it says ministry. Over 2,000 times it talks about living in life. And Mm. if you're going to make a difference in missions, it isn't about a task. It isn't about, here's the vision, go do it. Right. It's always about people. Mm. And you never end up telling a story about a task. Mm -hmm. You always tell a story about a person or a people. I'm going to tell you stories about oh, times that, that your son, Nate, and I practiced magic. I can right. tell you stories about <laughs> sitting in, in your parents' house there in Brizzy. And I mean, they their house is a world museum of missions. Oh, yes. you know? <laughs> and this is the thing, working with the next generation, mm-hmm. it's not something to them. Mm-hmm. It's something with them. It is living life with them. And that's what we love to do. And that's really what our mission's been for the last 35 years. To the next generation, we are pioneers. We are trend watchers. So we try to see what's going on with the next generation and try to just be a little bit ahead of it. We are a little bit prophetic as well in that we usually have to live it. (laughs) And then we get to talk about our stories involved in it. But MTO or this camp for our third culture kids, it happens every summer locally in Europe. But we've also had international ones in the U.S. for a while, and we've had some in Jordan. I think this will be our 31st year to do MTO every Mm -hmm. summer. And at the start of COVID, we started online, John, with a youth group every Mm -hmm. single week. So every Saturday morning, it's six o'clock in the morning for us. 
We're in far Asia. It's yep. uh, 11 o'clock at night, but we have a number of young people that don't have a youth group. They have nothing right. but this. We're doing a study on the Bible, really how to understand it. What are the foundations? And it is a total blast. It was their yeah. choice. Please help us with that. That was yeah. their yeah. thing. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, something that piqued my curiosity, because I've often heard the stories of smuggling Bibles. I'd be curious to hear from a couple who actually did that. What did that look like for you guys? <laughs> Very interestingly enough, when they recruited us, we were the first to come in at what they called the PM, personal ministry. That team had only, you know, done vehicles and smuggled Bibles, but they wanted to start because they had so many contacts and they recruited us to be the personal side of but, it. But the entire team were filled with people who had spent time in prison. You know, I think we were the only ones at the time on the team that had yes, not spent time in prison. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, but we were delivering Bibles one time into Romania hmm. when the revolution took place. Mm, okay. And so we had to be... That was like New Year of 89, 90. Yeah, we had yeah. to be hidden in a hospital because we were in a lot of danger. We had Bibles, we had Bibles and, and medical supplies. And, and in those days, when you took Bibles someplace, you usually were gone for anywhere between five and eight days. And mm. you had a map, but you couldn't write on it. You, you okay. had to memorize the entire route, sometimes into several All the countries. addresses of all the drop-off points. One of the things we had in our team was make sure all your relationships are in good place because you when didn't know you leave. if you were coming back. Wow. And so those were interesting times. Yeah. We were really <laughs> thankful that God allowed us to take the step into not just hand them a Bible, but mm -hmm. take it farther into Living with how them. can we mm -hmm. live among you? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's so and many I of our say... foundational values and ethos has come from that seven and a half years that we got to live among them. We would have stayed there forever, but it was at the same time the Poland ministry and the Teen Street International ministry was getting huge. Right. And our leadership said, you have to choose one. And we said, we want both. But <laughs> we can't had, always get what we you want. We had to move right. and face the traveling ministry from outside of Poland so the Poland ministry could keep growing. Yeah. Well, as I said at the beginning, you know, you guys have impacted me and my wife, but also our boys. And, and you alluded to that as well. I remember the privilege it was to be a part of a teen street in Australia. But I'd always heard great things about it, but that was just a fantastic experience. And then, of course, MTO for a couple of years here in the US, I think it was, yep. my boys were able to, to participate in that. And I just remember them coming home and being so excited and so built up in, in themselves and in their faith, in their vision for the world as well. So just from my side, a heartfelt thank you for all you've uh -huh. invested into our family. And I'm sure that's echoed around the world too. So thank you thank both. You, what would you say you're most excited about in the trends you've seen and in progress, if you will? But I know the next generation is always exciting because they're the ones coming up. They're going to yeah. be the ones pursuing and growing the kingdom. If you had any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think we're at another place in the history of Christianity where there is a change. There mm -hmm. is a change coming. And if we resist that change, we're going to do, well, basically what a lot of the churches did when the hippies came on the scene in the 60s. Mm -hmm. we, we denied that God was doing something, and they took a turn in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I think today we are at a place where God is doing something new. And yes. it's interesting, oftentimes with young people who are trying to decide, do we go for this God thing or not? You know, they, they look at all the things. Is it political? Is it this? Is it is it financial? Is it all these things? And we try to help them to actually first deconstruct the faith. 
Mm. And and some people are like, oh, that's so dangerous. It, right. But it actually isn't because in a safe environment, in mm. a you know, an open discussion forum. Because we want to get them really to the place where they strip it down where they're connected to Jesus. Many yes. young people today, they came to know Jesus simply because they didn't want to go to hell. But there was no connection with this God. There was no connection to Jesus. And so we're walking through a time, and I think it's very healthy to help young people deconstruct. What are those things that you don't believe? What are those things that you you challenge? Right. What's culture? Yeah. What's reality? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, John, as you travel around the world, things that you know from your country is biblical. You get someplace else, and it's not. <laughs> Completely night and day. So helping then the teenagers university students, wherever they are in their journey, to actually begin to then reconstruct it. Because you don't take a bulldozer and push down a house without a plan to rebuild. Right. And I think there's a danger today. We got 75% of Christian kids walking away from faith, Mm -hmm. and there's no one there to help them rebuild. And I find that we're at a beautiful place that people are allowed to question everything. The internet is full of all kinds of other views. Fact-checking. Hi, kids. You have to help them to think and process and and look at the word and look at all nature. All heavens declares the glory of God. Mm -hmm. So what's God saying through that movie? What's God saying through that music? Mm -hmm. And allow them to see God is much bigger than an hour on Sunday. And I think we're at a, a beautiful place in history where the questions are I believe they're God-inspired questions, and we need to meet them where they are and then invite them to journey forward, even though they may not take the same path I'm taking, right. or to be cheerleaders for them. Another trend that is really the same throughout the next generation is identity. Mm-hmm. Who am I and where do I mm-hmm. fit in the world? And this world post-COVID really presents itself with a very anxious, a very depressed and a very addiction-oriented society. Mm. So if we meet with the next generation or anybody without dealing with and equipping them with what to do with anxiety or when you feel low or you know when we're trying to escape the pressure cooker of this moment of my life, right. we're missing something. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do, both with our MTO teens, our one-on-one mentoring with them, our summer camps, everything. We're trying to provide a safe and secure environment for deconstruction and reconstruction Mm -hmm. and healthy models to help them have that. Mm -hmm. Mentoring is so much more needed and more valuable in this day and age than ever before. And if we as adults can step into the lives of our next generation people as a sounding board, a very safe, Mm -hmm. not trying to change them, but actually letting them process and helping them think about what they're thinking about and help them choose wisely. That's one of the trends that we're seeing. And that's the way it looks in our summer camp and our MTO is we bring lots more staff lots more adult. Mm. We try to have less structured time where they get input, a lot more experiential and a lot of free time to sit on the bench or walk or play in the field and just process it out one-on-one or in small groups. I mean, just friends with John, last year at our camp, I mean, this is how real things are. One of the girls that were there, she had 13 people that she knew during COVID that committed suicide. Wow. Personally, we have most of the kids Mm -hmm. that come 
that they have friends who are gay. They have friends that are Muslim, that are Hindu. Mm -hmm. They're from cultures many times where they don't have a youth group, but they live in a society that's very different than Christianity. And there's no place for them to ask those questions. And so we open up a door to say, let's ask, let's explore together. Rather than just saying, here it is, just Mm -hmm. take this, don't ask any questions. Let's explore together. What does Let's the Bible say? The what does it mean? And, What's and, our experiences? And, and some of these kids, when they came in at 12 to our camp, now they're 15 and they're saying, right. can I give some thoughts into this? And yeah. as teenagers <laughs> starting to lead and starting to help the younger ones, it's just a real blessing. It's it, I feel many times like we're the conductor of an orchestra <laughs> and all we're doing is right. the time is going up and down and they're playing the beautiful music. I love it. Our goal with these teenagers, which kind of stems from these trends as well, is to help them take one step closer to Jesus Mm -hmm. and to form a community of safe people. And that's basically it, Um, especially when we're working with the third culture kids of our organization. Their parents chose Jesus and their parents chose Mm -hmm. to do that work or that thing or be on that team. But they didn't always choose that. And they many times come to our camp or come to our online presence or one-on-one and they say, I'm in process of choosing whether I want to follow Jesus or not. Mm-hmm. And we're like, so glad you came. You right. know, we're going to promote Jesus. Thanks right. for coming. But let's talk about these issues that are going on and let's help you make it your own and not just something that is the cultural thing to do. Well, thank you so much. That's great to hear your perspectives on that. I hope you've enjoyed this first part of my conversation with Dan and Susie. You can find them online at doozy.com, D-U-Z-I-E.com. And I know they would love to hear from you if you have some feedback or some thoughts or further questions. So feel free to reach out to them there. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. And please tune back in next time to get the rest of my mission chat with them. Find us online at missionchats.com.